welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leland McRae. All right, Leland, no surprise. Riverheads, I mean, they're winning again. It's it's seven straight. They've dominated Class 1. The good news for Class 1, Riverheads won't win the Class 1 championship next year because they won't be in it. Um, bad news for Class 2 is Riverheads is going there. But this is a game that, honestly, I mean, Riverheads just dominated from the kickoff. And George Wythe never had a shot in this game. Um, <laughs> I know it was 14-7 to at one point, but it was never really... I mean, the Maroons were never in this game, and they couldn't stop the Gladiators' offense. I mean, 485 rushing yards, 481 total yards, and I know what you're saying. Joe, you just said they had 485 rushing yards. The one pass they completed, they did lose four yards. Uh, That was the one, well, not the only weakness, but one of the glaring weaknesses in the Riverheads' performance was the lack of a pass game that they didn't need. Um, But special teams, I guess, would be the other one. Overall, I mean, this is just a dominant Riverheads performance where it's another state championship game. And frankly, you know, we'll talk about all these. We'll highlight them. But frankly, just one of six dominating performances on state championship Saturday. Yeah, I, you know, you tell me Riverhead scores 49 points and wins that game. I'm not even phased a little bit on from my predictions. Um, I I thought they'd do well in this game. I thought they were going to score. I think the way I set it up that George with would kind of have to find a way to keep up and, you know, they scored some points and, um, you know, more than I know coach Norcross coming from the defensive side of the ball, what he would prefer. Um, and yeah, it was, it always felt like Riverheads was in control. I'm not going to argue with that point. I, I will say in the second half, when they came out and opened up with a score, I gave them credit. That's, that's exactly what they wanted to do. Come out of the gate, come right down the field, they score on a touchdown pass and they make it, I guess that's 21, 14, but then Riverheads just starts their rolling of answering with, you know, a touchdown from Luke and then three Caden Cook cash touchdowns. And what a day that kid had. I mean, my goodness, Caden Cook cash. He's the best player on the field and he had the best game. And if you want to win a game, you can't allow that happen from the other team. And, you know, the only game Riverheads lost this year, I feel like that's what they allowed the quarterback from Lord Bonitot to do. The, one of the best players on the field, I, you know, I, I put Caden up there with anybody, but one of the best players in the field having the best game, you can't allow that to happen. So, you know, I, I also came into this thinking George Wythe was going to have to pull out all the stops to have them have a chance. They pulled out all the stops and had enough work. And they still just weren't even close. Uh, I mean, they had four different guys throw passes in this game. They they did keep one drive alive with one of those trick plays, but then penalty and a sack brought that back. And, I mean, I'll give credit to the 15, the quarterback. He was a baller. He got banged up and came back from it, and but ran the ball 17 times, threw the ball 13 times, produced what he could, uh, touchdown pass through the air and the ground. But they probably needed a couple more of him on the field, to be honest. I, I'm not trying to take complete away from from everybody else, but it, he did seem like kind of the best athlete on the field. I think that's why they left him at quarterback this season. Um, and, and the Jolly brothers were, they were good. And, um, you know, I'm not saying they shouldn't be on the field, but it just, they just needed more firepower. And when you have King cook cash, you're going to win a lot of games. And that's what Riverheads had him. And he scores five touchdowns. Someone had pulled out the stat that he had 12 touchdowns and three state championship games. He's only a junior. I mean, it's just incredible, just incredible stat. And I just, I felt like it was hard, you know, it's hard to, 
it's such a team game and the offensive line has to make everything happen. But man, the way Caden was getting to the outside and creating, uh, it was just really spectacular. And I'm not saying there wasn't blocking at the front that helped him, but when he's out on the edge, making a lot happen without too many other people involved at that point, you do have to give the kid credit. And I mean, what was it? Cody Elliott that put out the article about like, if we're not talking about him being a D one player, it's time to start talking about it. And, and I think we talk about that and, and we talk about, you know, the rumors we hear, but he doesn't have an offer yet. So I, I imagine those are coming and, and, you know, I don't know how high up D one are coming that quick, but they, he should be getting a lot of college attention, no matter what the level, anybody be happy to have him. Um, he's such a football player. So I, I just, I was really happy for him to have such a big day. And uh, you know, if Riverhead's <laughs> with him on the field next year, that will be the, a huge difference for them. I mean, he is just an absolute ball player. Yeah, and I, I imagine now that he's finished his sophomore season at Riverheads, those junior. offers will. Oh, this was his junior season, you're right. So the yeah. offers will start coming in. Um, and you're right, it is kind of surprising when you've seen the kind of first two years he had and, and the dominating performances he had this year that he wasn't getting any offers at this this year i wonder if the injury maybe played part in that um but he's just such a good player on on both sides of the ball really that you do think uh somebody will come calling i I know you and i in particular yeah i know you and i in particular like the defensive side of the ball better at the d1 level for him as an option than the offensive side of the ball but um you know either way i think he's gonna he's going to have some offers and he'll be able to make that choice. Uh, It might depend on what level he wants to play on as to which option he gets to take. But um, I think the more prominent school, you know, closer to power five or something like that. I think think it's going to be defense. It's going to make that higher, but maybe he wants to have the ball in his hands and maybe he'll choose. Maybe a, yeah, maybe a G five or or a, or an FCS school would, would entertain offense. Uh, And, and that if he wants that, that's fine too. You know, whatever makes him happy. It's his college career, but, I, he's just such a dominant player at this level and in this area uh, that, yeah. you know, whether it's class one, class two, class three, I mean, look, he got injured in that Lord Botetourt game, but before that he was the offense for Riverheads. He was chugging yeah. along and dragging that offense up the field uh, before his injury in that ball game. And, and that's a lot of D one talent on that Lord Botetourt team this year. So yeah. the people who say, well, he's only doing that against class one talent. Let's see what happens when he plays better players. He's done it. He's done it. Uh, It's the same thing that they, when they say that in terms of the Riverheads team, they've done it. They've played better teams and they've won uh, a lot of those games. Yes, they lost to Lord Botetot this year, but they beat Lord Botetot last year at Lord Botetot. And um, this is a good Riverheads program. It's why they've won seven straight. King Cook Cash is an excellent player. That's why he's putting up the numbers he is. And this Riverheads team is truly something special this season. Um, King Cook Cash in particular, a special player that Riverheads fans will have one more year with. And, and the thing that another thing that stuck out to me in this game, man, the officiating just stuck their nose <laughs> into this game and they just couldn't get out of the way early. And, and, I, and I'm fine. You call the penalties that are penalties. If Riverheads is false starting, call it. I, and I know I, I probably said, like, get out of the way, guys, in that area. But they were talking about stuff and doing this and delaying and, and it just call the penalty and let's move on. And then I, there was a couple times I agree that. George Witt should have issues when they tried to sneak the kickoff with, you know, Riverheads maybe not being right. I think it looked like Riverheads probably would have recovered that and that's all fine. So I don't really think it's huge, but like why? And then they just wiped it off. So like there was a, it was like inadvertent whistle equivalent. 
and then uh, they didn't measure one of the when why just measure like they I was never, say it was a huge play. It was a huge yeah, play that right probably should have been measured. I think he had it. Yeah, I think the ball was touching the tip of the line, but just you know for for measurement's for sake, go out and measure it. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. And up to that, you know, into the fourth, starting the fourth quarter, it's just like, yeah, there's a couple things that George Witt fans could probably be grumbling about. But then Riverhead sent the message in the fourth quarter that they are the better team. And, and you know, those little things that you can complain about and then the, the kind of the trick plays that were kind of working for George Witt that was keeping them, you know, with within two scores, you know, when when you can't on two straight possessions for Riverheads tackle Caden Cook-Cash because he's just running the end zone on the first play on that possession. That's just that's sending the message riverheads is better they deserve to win and i don't think anybody goes home and and has a whole lot of what could have been because it it was established in that fourth quarter riverheads the better team and and that's one of those same old stories for riverheads like they're just stronger for four quarters than you're gonna be and just rarely do you see it any different than that you you rarely see anybody even keep up with them you never see somebody better than them in the fourth quarter but you just uh, they're just so good, and uh, that just shows the strength of the program. It shows it shows twelve months of work in that one quarter in December. That that's what it all adds up to, and that's why they keep painting banners in the green. So, yeah, and um, you know, I, I know going back to your point on the officiating, I I thought the first thing was was odd. The the opening kickoff. There's that delay of game flag and then they pick it up and wave it off because the officials I never I never saw the officials say we're ready to go yeah the players clearly did the players didn't see it George West coaches are saying to the officials are we ready are we ready no one says anything and then a flag flies and you're like okay and then they pick it up and then we kick off and the game starts and that was like all right well that was weird and then yeah there was another instance like you said the quick the the kickoff that now the officials are saying, well, we weren't ready. And I'm like, man, I, guys, figure it out. Yeah. Like, this is bad. And, um, But like you said, in the moment, uh, there was a moment where George Wythe is is down three scores, but they get the ball on a fumble that really looked like Cody Cash was down. <laughs> it really looked like he his back hits the ground, and then the ball comes out. But George Wythe gets it. But what does Riverheads do? They respond. They they stop them on what was the oddest fourth down sequence I have ever seen in the history of football, where George with their quarterback gets dinged up. He comes out. They bring the backup in They're The offense is confused. They're looking. Yeah, they're looking. Yeah, that's true. The officials didn't tell him he had to leave. He just like goes off the field. They put another kid on um, and, and and then they look at him. They're looking at him, and the offense is looking for a play. They don't know what they're running, and it ends up like the coach is just like, delay of game. And I was like, wow, okay. And then what happens after that? Well, again, they don't send the kid in, the starting quarterback, who we both agree is their best player. Again, they're looking to the sideline confused, and I'm like, man, you got to call a timeout. This is your game. Like, if you don't get this, it's game. And they don't. They don't get it on fourth down. They try another trick play. It looked like double reverse. That just was never going to work. And then the the kid who's hurt comes back in to play defense on first down. And Kane Cook cash runs a touchdown. Like he says, that was the beginning of the one place drives for Riverheads in the fourth quarter. And it was just like, 
Well, I guess if there was any doubt, it's it's a race now. But my goodness, what a fourth down sequence where you just have three timeouts and you just choose not to use them. I, and again, it's like I said on the radio, I know you're probably thinking like we might need those to stop the clock. But if you don't score a touchdown here, that doesn't really matter. So you got to score the touchdown. Two timeouts is enough to get the ball back another time. And then you can worry about onside kicks after that. But I, I just I didn't understand the fourth quarter coaching decisions there was it was just odd well, he knew how to call timeouts he's calling them in the first half way too early and yeah and maybe that was in his head I, I misused those i need to not misuse them in the second half well then you didn't use them i mean it just it was just bizarre it was there, was, there was a lot of example there was some examples that i just didn't feel like george with was put in positions to be successful and it's just such a contrast to what we see on Riverheads throughout yeah. that, you know, it's just continually put in those positions to succeed and, and make it easy for them to succeed. And then they do. And so then when you get a player that can make really great plays, it's even that much better. It just, yeah, I, I had a lot of questions on what was happening on the other sideline. And, and, and I think, I, you know, I, I think Riverheads won in that game. It, you can start making all those things right for George with, and I still think Riverheads wins the game. I think they were that much better. I didn't think Riverheads played that special great of a game, and they still put 49 points up and still maintain control of that game throughout. So that's why they got number 10 now. That's 10 state championships. They're tied with Salem for second all-time in VHSL. You know, I think we tear apart, and I think you said it a lot on the radio on Saturday, you know, People kind of ding D1. Out of all the de- <laughs> all these different classifications, only two other teams have ever won 10 state championships. If D1's that easy, then why isn't more teams scoring or winning 10 state championships? None are, and Riverheads has it. So they deserve all the praise that you can give them on what a program they've built. And no matter how you phrase it or say it, they are one of the top programs of all time in the state of Virginia. Yeah, you don't necessarily want to throw them at, at, at against those class six teams. Sure, I, that's that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying program, how well it's run, the quality of football that's playing in comparison to the level that they're playing, and and the consistency of winning has never been seen before. And so that deserves all the praise that it gets. And so I, that's why I'm making sure I'm saying it on this podcast because it's it's absolutely incredible. I think because people in this area are so used to seeing it that it, it kind of gets talked about less and it, it probably needs to be talked about more because it's just something that's very likely never going to be seen again, particularly in our lifetimes. And if it, if we do, it's going to be something really special. So like, that's why we talk about it, that it's that, that it's this special this time. So tied for second all time is absolutely amazing. And uh, they're going to have a chance to continue it. I mean, going to class two, it could be easy. And and this is where, you know, where the pin that you started writing Riverheads in uh, trip to Salem, you know, now you might switch to a pencil or, or maybe you take a minute before you write that down, but they're still going to contend because that's the kind of program that they've built. How many pro, how many times have we been down there and watched both class one and class two state championships? And we've said, man, Riverheads would, would be right here with this class two team. So I, I'm just not even, not even phased by that. And I'm just, it's amazing that they have 10. I, I be as being part of the first one, it's amazing to go there and call number 10 on the radio. It was it's just it's crazy. It was and um yeah, like you said, you, I'm not going to be writing them in pen to go win a state championship anymore. And and this Graham team this year was really good. I don't know if I'd say that They're this solid, year. Yeah. 
yeah. given the last two performances we saw from Riverheads and just not the most pristine version of Riverheads we've seen. I think it would take a very pristine version of Riverheads to be able to beat Graham. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's still, like you said, 10 state championships, only two other programs have done that. That's Salem and Hampton. Um, so Hampton's is 17, so it's a, it's a while before Riverheads could have opportunity to catch them. Right. Um, but, I mean, look, that, where Riverheads goes and plays, that's where Salem plays. That's a very good field. That's a very very good program in class they four. play there every Friday. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, it's a fantastic <laughs> team down there that, that beats a lot of good teams and goes very deep in the postseason almost every year. So to be in that kind of rare air with Salem and, and Hampton is yeah. a, a huge accomplishment. You're right about that. But moving on to the other games, uh, like I said, Graham, they pounded Central 34-7. Still very good year for Central and the Falcons. Um, and you know, I, I think that's probably the team that you look at as maybe the, the chief competitor for Riverheads next season in terms of a region championship is yeah. probably going to be the central Falcons. Yeah. They get, and they bring a lot of guys back. Mm-hmm. It seemed like all the, you know, important people that we were talking about pre games when they were playing local teams, they were all juniors and a couple sophomores. So like they, they'll bring back a lot of talent as will Riverhead. So right there, there's the two, that's the top two teams in region to be next year in the preseason. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about East Rock and Lorraine and some other ones and draft, you know, we'll bring people all those up, but central and Riverheads coming out of state play and returning what they are. They're the top two. That's the top tier. And then we start figuring out what the next tier is. And, and you know, everybody have their opportunities. We know that whole bull run plays each other. We know enough of the Shenandoah district plays each other and some bull run teams. So mm-hmm. it'll be a, it'll be a fun watch next year. Yeah. Uh, Phoebus, they thumped Heritage 48-7 to to win their ninth championship. They're right behind Riverheads. It's another, you know, that kind of speaks to, again, as good as Phoebus is, they have nine. Um, now, all of them are this century, um, which is phew, yeah, amazing. Um, like Riverhead. Riverhead. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I said that, and then I was like, wait, Riverheads is also all this century because they started in 2000. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, wow, just two programs really on the up and up here in the last two decades. Um, Dinwiddie, I did not give them enough credit when I said they would beat Kettle Run by, I think it was 35. They ended up winning by 45. Um, they thumped the Kettle Run. The I, and I said, you know, and you and Chip were like, whoa. I, I said, I was like, look, I've seen them play teams with the Northwestern just before. Uh, they killed Chirando by a very, I mean, it was even worse. I think it was 62 to 7. Um, but Dinwiddie is just a different, different kind of team. And, um, yeah. Kettle Run got to see that as good as Kettle Run is. And, and they have the Tapscott kid who's amazing. Um, but Dinwiddie has players all over the field that are going to be playing on Saturdays. And that showed in a 65, 20 win Highland yeah. Springs. This was the closest game of Saturday, uh, but not really. 33 to 19 Highland Springs. They win their sixth championship over Maury. They're all since 2015. Yeah. That's insane to think about. Um, But then you also have freedom 48, 14 winning their first state championship. So that's the, they were, yeah, that's the first, uh, the only (laughs) one timer. Sorry. (laughs) They were straight fire this season. I I thought that that was what I said pregame. I thought that would be the biggest blowout. It was a plenty good blowout there, but it was not the biggest blowout. And 
Yeah, you kind of hit on it already, but the teams of the 2000s, like if you're going to talk about the best programs since 2000, you're going to say Riverheads, Phoebus, and Highland Springs. Well, they all won again on Saturday. That's kind of a crazy, I, you know, I don't know what other years, I guess I could go through it and try to figure out what other years they've all won it, but this year they did, and that was that was awesome. They were all in the early games. Uh, Freedom, yeah, like you said, Freedom was the only new state champion. And uh, of all the state champions, Riverheads was the only team to lose a game this season. Uh, that loss to Lord Botetot was the only loss of any of the six state champions this year. All the other five were undefeated. So kind of funny, the team that won 52 games in a row and has won so much and out of all their games, yeah, they're the only one of the state champions to lose this year. I just thought that was a funny stat. So uh you move on to next year and now everybody's done and you know, the classification, you know, Riverhead's going up to class two is interesting. Fort coming down locally. Uh, Gap stays by themselves in class one. Uh, Central Lunenburg goes up to class two as well. So that was another strong team in region one uh, B that'll be out of Gap's right way right now. I think I, I know Gap's losing some talent. I'm going to put Gap as a top contender for one B just knowing the consistency of that program. I think they'll put something together to be a contender in the very least out of region one B and two B is going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, Fort Defiance has a lot coming back off that team that, actually got some wins this year. So uh, that'll, that'll be a big focus in our local coverage. I know three C I think kind of, kind of dominated our coverage this year because we had multiple playoff teams come in from three C um, I think two B that'll, that'll step up that much more. And so it'll be a kind of more balanced across all the classifications a little bit here. And it'll be fun to watch next year. And I'm, I'm excited about changes. That's as a, as a broadcaster and a fan, I'm just excited that some things are different. You know, it just feels like too often we're just penciling in what's going to happen. You know, Riverheads is top, drafts probably second, let's go. And uh, in the district, I don't, you know, I'm not sitting here saying I'm going to be different with those two facts to start the year. But past that is going to be a lot of questions, marks, and a lot of things to prove. And so I'm excited about that on, on multiple levels. And yeah, I was tired of class one. So if, if, if it means Riverheads doesn't win a state championship, I'm still okay with them being up, being the Riverheads homer that I am, being up and seeing different teams, seeing different challenges. It'll be fun. I agree. Um, moving on to other levels of football, the lone college game going on was Army-Navy, and uh, it Kind of lived up to the hype. It was the first ever overtime game between Army and Navy. And Army, I jokingly sent the text to you that they should just start with the triple overtime rules because both offenses seemed allergic to yards in that ball game. But then, of course, overtime happens, and all of a sudden the points start flying. Um, both both teams score early in their overtime first overtime drives. Navy turns it over at the one-inch line. Yeah. And then Army gets a field goal to win it. Um, and, man, huge win for Army uh, as they knock off Navy. I was surprised coming out of that, and I, I kind of missed most of that game. Uh, we were coming back from Salem, and it, that wasn't the first thing I cut on the TV when I got back. We had some other stuff going on, so I kind of missed everything until overtime. Um, the thing coming out of that game, though, I'm surprised Navy's coach and them are separating. And it seems – in the very least that the school was happy with that. Uh, it wasn't just, Hey, I'm stepping down for the Navy's coach. Uh, he'd been really successful with Navy for some years here. And it was a couple of years ago, I think BYU was trying to hire him away and he stayed. So 
I, I thought that guy was going to just get to stay there until he wanted to leave and thought he maybe kind of had earned that after 15 years. Um, but no, they, uh, I think mutually want to go at, in the very least, or maybe one side said <laughs> you need to get out and he agreed or something. Uh, but I was surprised with that. And then you think if that kid crosses the goal line without fumbling, Navy wins that game, is he still gone? And so I, I that's why I think it really surprised me because I, I, I don't know if that'd be true. So uh, it's weird. It's a weird thing at a school that has a lot of priorities that aren't winning football games involved in their day-to-day decisions. Um, I was surprised that they're making that change. So uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see who they get in there as a tough job. Uh, it's a tough team to play on. It's a tough job and uh, it, it'll be different. I was going to say, anytime you're coaching at a military academy, it's tough because it's, yeah. you're not able to go get four and four, five-star guys. Like they're just not coming no. to play for you. Um, no, they want to go play in the NFL later, and you you got to go serve after you're done playing football at, at these places. Unless so. you get a special waiver, and and that's hard to come by at those that. academies. Yeah. yeah. So that being said, I do think the past few years are not what Navy had been accustomed to. After that, I guess that's the double-edged sword because right? of what he established. Yeah, yeah. that's the double-edged sword. <laughs> He had put Navy yeah. on the map, which they're not used to, got him into a conference and because of how good they had been. And then after getting into that conference, they really struggled. And so I think uh, part of that was, okay, we need to look elsewhere. Um, I, I've always wondered what happens if the military academies go get somebody who doesn't run a triple option offense. So I'm, I, part of me is curious, like, I don't know. Maybe go hire this guy and maybe don't run a triple option. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, they, that's what they say about that triple option and stuff like that. Is, but I know, do think like, of it and, yes, I was going to say, but because of what we're touching on, you can't go get four, five and four stars and you really can't yeah. get three stars. You're getting a lot of one, two stars, maybe um, that that's probably why you run that is because it's the yeah. only time the team you're playing will ever see that unless they play you and the uh, another service academy and you just kind of hope that that throws them off enough that you can win. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, I that's a great game for the last 8 years I pretty much missed that game because it always happens on state championship weekend. Um so I, I haven't seen that much of it, but I always respect that game and uh yeah, it was good. I'm glad it happened. I you know, we we got all these bowls coming up and uh so we we have one more podcast before the Christmas holiday. We're not going to do a podcast between Christmas and New Year's. So we're going to give you all's ears a holiday as well. But uh, we so we have a couple to talk about before uh, our podcast next week. So we'll look at these bowl games through the weekend. And uh, hopefully you've switched over to the right tab there, Joe. And um, they start Friday, Friday at 1130 a.m. You get the Bahamas Bowl and they run through uh, Saturday solid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Monday night, there's one. What is uh, a, one or two of those bowl games that stick out to you? You see the ones and I'll talk about them that I'm going to talk about. Yeah, I know. Uh, those are do the you agree with those or do you have another one, too, that you're you're real interested in? Well, your first one is one I would agree with. Um, so let's talk about it. OK. UTSA Troy is maybe the best bowl game of the of the year. Um it's two G5 teams that are really good in UTSA and Troy uh, that have played really well. Um, and, and honestly, UTSA being at a Conference USA is kind of a, a diamond in the rough there. I don't think a lot of Conference USA, um, but I do think UTSA is 
a really good football team. And if you've watched them play this year, um, you know how good they are. And I, you know, I sent you uh, a joke. <laughs> I can't remember if it was on Facebook now or uh, Twitter. I want to say it was on Facebook. Um, but, and you didn't reply because you knew what I was doing. Where it was, if so, somebody had taken the FCS playoff model and just implemented it in the FBS, which is a 24 team playoff, which even I won't advocate for. Waste your breath. <laughs> yeah, I won't advocate for that. I would like to see, you know, 16 with all the conference champions, which is one of the reasons I sent this to Leland was like, wow, it's a lot of juicy G5 upsets um, just to get under his skin. But, um, I, I do think this is an interesting game because Troy really came on at the end of the year. They won the Sun Belt. They beat a Coastal Carolina team that was beat up at the end of the year, um, but they took advantage of it. Uh, they had a solid record anyway. It's not like mm-hmm. they just took advantage of that. They they were yeah. They were they're number twenty four. UTSA is twenty five. Unlike Coastal Carolina, Troy was very deserving of being in that in that championship. Game. Sure. Um, <laughs> So that'll be an interesting game. That's the three o'clock game on Friday uh, in the yeah. Duluth Trading Cure Bowl, um, which because it features these two G5 teams, it usually gets two of the best G5 teams in the country. So that's actually a getting to be a pretty big bowl. Um, and it's one of the first ones played. Um, so the, the sucky part for the G5 is it's during the middle of the day. Um, but I think it's going to be a great matchup. And I, I that's actually... Probably the only one I don't know who I'm picking yet. Yeah, and speaking of that, we have a uh, confidence pick bowl mania um, group created through ESPN.com. I know some of our other stuff goes through Yahoo. This one's got to be through ESPN. I put out a tweet. Um, if you're listening and you haven't seen seen the tweet or Twitter's not for you, uh, make sure we know that you want to be included. Email us. Uh, yaksportspod at gmail.com or interact with us through social media or if you have our numbers, text us. Uh, we'll get you the password, the group and the password will get you in there. We want everybody in. We, we like to know everybody that's in there because the winner gets a invite to come on the podcast. Uh, so we do just like to know who we're dealing with here. Uh, but yeah, make sure you know we know that you want to be in there. We'll get you in there. Um, and it's a confidence pick one. So you need to go ahead and get the picks in before Friday so you have all the points available for what you want to do. The other bowl game that I had highlighted, as much as I'll watch some of the Fenway Bowl, just because it's weird looking to see a football field and on the uh, baseball field there in Fenway, I really don't care as much about that game. The distrib- the SRS distribution, Las Vegas Bowl, Florida, and Oregon State. Oregon State like probably should be favored in this game. I think they have the better record. They're ranked and all that. Well, then here's Florida, an SEC team that, I think some would say underachieved this year, especially from where they were early in the season. I think people had, you know, higher hopes. They knocked off Utah earlier and stuff like that. So that's one that I kind of have circled that kind of interested to see what happens in that game and see if Florida is motivated to play in that game. Since that's like a lesser bowl game than Florida fans are used to seeing and the hype and all that. And the players that go to Florida expect to be in, I just want to see how they react there. I think that's kind of like an indicator for future Florida success just to kind of see what they have there. So I'm, I'm interested in that bowl game and, and plus it's two pretty fun offenses. And I think both, there's some fun quarterbacks on both teams. So I'm, I'm interested in that one. It'll be an interesting bowl game for sure. Um, and again, I mean, Oregon state is a team that really toward the end of the year caught fire um, and, and yeah. surprised some people. I mean, they, 
they knocked Oregon off, ended their hopes of a Pac-12 I know championship. That. It cost me $360. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um same Z's. Well, maybe I I don't think that number is right for me, but yeah. Um and you're right, Florida is a disappointing team that barely got into a bowl game and and kind of had to pull off an upset or two to get into yeah. one. So Everybody talks about the SEC being so good, and I am the Big Ten. I'm always interested in these teams that like. Well, it's the team motivated to be there. I was I mean, going to say when they lose Alabama playing K State. Yeah, I'm when they say the same thing, I'm always interested in those SEC teams that are just so great. How they how they fare in a game that they think is less than them. I was going to say that's the thing. When they lose in a bowl game, it's because they didn't really want to be there, and they're not. Yeah, they're not trying. And I think that's bullcrap. I mean, and that maybe that's accurate. Maybe they didn't want to be there. I think that's bullcrap, and I think that's a bad thing for the coach and all that. Like that's that's kind of how I look at that. Is well, that's, that's what the bad. SEC excuse is. Anytime they lose a non-conference game, yeah. well, when they don't, when none it. of them play anybody good on the road, what a great excuse to have on a neutral site when you're in a bowl game oh. and you lose. Oh well, we just didn't. We didn't care. Oh, okay. That's like that's like a person who just has terrible, terrible grades, and they're just like, "Well, I'm just not good at taking. I'm just not good at being evaluated." Like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that's the bowl, that's the bowl games we're most looking forward to the first weekend. Plenty of other interesting ones out there, but that's just come to the highlights. I was gonna say there are uh, a handful. Yeah, you got get get into our uh, pick them because I want to be competing against everybody on picks and. That'll be fun. We'll pick up with the Potato Bowl uh, next week and looking ahead at some other bowl games. And obviously, we have the semifinals. We'll we'll touch on then too. But a lot of a lot of great bowl games coming up, and uh, I, I like it when you get into the stretch here, starting you know pretty much this weekend, where every night you know there's there's football on, college football on, and you know it might be a not be a matchup that you're used to. Like I'm never cutting Western Kentucky and South Alabama on during the regular season. I'm really not watching North Texas and Boise State either, but when it's the only game on, I, I kind of do, and it's fun to watch. And you see a lot of teams that are are not favored to win are the ones that win. So I, I, it's just fun time of year. I'm telling you, the only person you're robbing of enjoyment is yourself if you don't watch some late-night action on those Tuesday nights because that is some wild, wild-ass football. <laughs> it's it's called maintaining marriage is, is probably the way I'm attacking this. It's, it's <laughs> allowed there to be just a night or two that's a week fair. where I don't have football on the TV. Now that I ruined that in December, like I, I, that's, this is why the household doesn't enjoy Like when August kicks in there, go, Oh my goodness, here it comes. So they don't remember September and October last year where I wasn't watching football on Tuesdays. They remember December where I watched football for 23 straight days. So uh, yeah. That's, but it's okay. yeah, I, I get what you're saying too. Though it's bowl season, right. so you got to do what you got to do. I was in college at one point, and I watched Maction then. But uh, it's just yeah, it's hard to maintain now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's uh, switch it over college sports wise. Or no, hey, let's stick with football. Let's stick with football. Let's okay. talk NFL. Um, what stood out to you this past weekend in the NFL action? That the Ravens can go to their third string quarterback and still beat the Steelers. <laughs> what quarterback were we on number well i guess that depends on if you consider mitch trubisky he, who started the season as your number one your number these one days he's number two and okay his, uh, so it's your number two yeah we were back. on our number it three a, it was still a classic i mean as much as you want to talk crap you guys won fair enough it still was a classic raven Steelers game where it's just low scoring and tight and Either team could have won. I mean, it's just whatever we do, it just seems like that's it's there's all tight. They're all 
they're just so similar franchises, except one has won significantly more Super Bowls. Well, one's been around since the 70s when most of those Super Bowls were won, but okay. I, I believe the Browns uh, is your franchise. I'll, I'll include all the old Browns ones for you, and you still don't have them. So. Well, but that's because we left the mistake by the lake. Now we do crab cakes and football. Yeah. I think we have like the same amount of Super Bowls since you existed in Baltimore. What does that say, Leland? We're very similar franchises, like I just said. And yet only one of us has an MVP on the roster. Um, <laughs> that you wanted to cut. Yeah, we'll see. Um, <laughs> oh, facts. Oh. I will say Tyler Huntley looked pretty good before he got knocked unconscious. Um, and then uh, the, back, the third string guy came in and finally uh, word got down to the offense. Like, hey, just run the ball. They can't really stop yeah. it. Just don't pass ever. Um. And that worked. So it was a big win. Um, but I guess the other takeaway was as great as Dallas looked against the Colts, man, was that a scary game against Houston for them? They deserved to lose that game. Even I, that was the only game I was really talking trash to you about. Cause I know you're like a closet Dallas fan. It really bugs <laughs> me. Like of all your fans, like the Ravens, like I hate the Ravens, but like, okay. I, I kind of respect it because at least it's a good franchise. I know that you used to root for Dallas and I know you still like kind of like to. And so, yeah, I was t- talking trash on that one. They deserve to lose that game. Even when they were coming down to score a game winning touchdown, I thought they, you know, get put in a position to kick a game tying field goal. And I was like, they'll miss it. And I think, you know, if they would have kicked it, they probably would have missed it. That's why they needed to get in the inside. Yeah. Well, that was the funny thing. As soon as you said they're going to miss the field goal anyway, they just ne- they didn't have an incomplete pass the entire yeah. time since then. Yeah. It was just like, boom, big game, big game, big game. And honestly, for Houston, I mean, wow. What? Who? Just what a, what a franchise. What a franchise. They're, maybe they are tanking. I heard that theory today at work, and I, it's not the craziest thing I've ever heard. Um, even though some of what I hear there is pretty crazy for who's the, who's the quarterback coming out, Caleb Williams, I guess. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) He looked looked good in the Pac-12 championship. (laughs) Um, but is that the Heisman trophy? We didn't even talk about because no one cares. Yeah. You know what I love? I love the Heisman trophy, not Heisman trophy, not mattering anymore. I hope it doesn't. I hope we just kill that award. Um, that's fine with me, but I just I thought that um, Houston's got a lot of problems. Like that's not even a team that like the Jets. You're like, well, outside of quarterback, they're pretty good. Houston, you look at and you're like, um, it's like Major League, where uh, they're like, guys, they're like, I didn't even realize we still had a team, and a player on the Texans goes, yeah, we got uniforms and everything, like. That's the only reason they would be considered a pro team is because the NFL has to have an even number. They're bad. They're awful. They're terrible to watch. I can't believe they almost beat the Dallas Cowboys. And every time I the red zone goes to a game in Houston and the game is close, I'm like, mm. that makes me question the other team. I'm like, yo, what's going on there? Someone's got to get yep. fired. I know my it's brother fun. was was very uh, anti-Kellen Moore. My brother was ready to yeah, that chase a Kellen years Moore ago, right? out of like town. He was on the track to be the next head coach there. You know, it was Jerry I James do. I honestly I think that end of the playoff game against the 49ers is where it turned. 
I know that's where it turned for my brother because on that on that play, he was like, Kellen Moore deserves to be fired for that play. And and then this year he has been very anti Kellen Moore the entire time. Where how deep does Dallas have to get for them not to fire McCarthy and bring in Sean Payton this offseason? Oh, that's a good question. Because I Sean Payton has that relationship with Jerry Jones. Uh-huh. Mike McCarthy does seem like a guy on hard knocks too. You kind of got the impression like idiot. And he's a very he has a very, you know, like people have like a punchable face. He has a very fireable face. Like, like you just you could just want to fire him. Like he just deserves to be fired. And it was like years at Green Bay. I thought the same thing. Like this guy has got got to go. Well, the other problem and a lot of teams want to show their best face and they do like they, they put a have they have heavy editing powers on that show. Hard knocks. And even with the editing powers, you're like, man, Mike McCarthy looks really dumb. And, and that's the problem, I guess is like after a show like that, where some coaches and some teams want to be like, Oh, look like Dan Campbell and the lions got a lot of like, Oh, this team's going to go great. And they actually have been playing well now down through the middle stretch of the season. Um, but it's just like with Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys, you were like, mm, he's not smart. And, and now it, when they win, when they're in these kind of games, you're like, that's, that's him. And that's, and, and you know, I, I, I would say if Sean Payton comes in that and Kellen Moore actually is a bad coach, that's probably doomed for him because Sean Payton yeah. will get rid of him. I think they got to be in the NFC championship for him not to just automatically be fired. And then even in the NFC championship game, they can't really, you think if he doesn't go to the NFC championship, he's fired. I think especially, yeah. Yeah. I think he's got, I would say if they lose in that wild card round, he's got to win two playoff games. Yeah. I would say if they lose in that wild card game for sure. um, I think he's got to win the second one too. I don't know about the second one, but, um, I think that's how much he wants Sean Payton, though. I think that's the bigger piece of that puzzle. Uh, so you set me up perfectly rolling into Detroit. At some point during that fourth quarter, when it looked like when 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 it looked like Dak just threw it to the other team for Houston go, to go up, and then I look over at Detroit and they're multiple scores up on Minnesota. I was like, my preseason predictions of Dallas not making the playoffs and Detroit, you know, whatever I said, that is not going to be true for them. Positive. It just took till after Thanksgiving for me to be right. You know, this is the stuff I predicted in August. And then two weeks after Thanksgiving, all of a sudden everything's coming together. Detroit, their offense has been pretty good most of the season. Overall, a good offense. They just had a couple bad weeks here and there. But their defense has been their weak point. It's kind of coming together here down the stretch. They've won, what, like six of seven or five of six or something like that. And uh, they're looking a lot better. So I'm really cheering for those guys. I did watch them on Hard Knocks. When you talk about Dallas on Hard Knocks, Detroit is what had me positive about them. And I like that things are working for them. So uh, that's cool. I, I, they're better at quarterback than I thought they'd be this year. Down this, you know, the, overall with that good offense, um, particularly lately. So I think that's that's a good thing that's helping them there. But yeah, it, it's. I'd like to be right eventually, and I just wish it could have been sooner. It also stuck out to me, San Francisco with, I I don't even know the guy's name at quarterback that was playing for him. Uh, he was Mr. Irrelevant. That's the joke that keeps going around. Absolutely pounding on Tampa. Brock love Purdy. Brock Purdy looked it. great. Yeah, I love it. I, I, and not that I'm a sub huge San Francisco fan. I just like Tampa Bay getting knocked down. So, yeah, Brock Purdy looked great, and the 49ers have actually looked pretty good. 
Uh, they were the team everybody was jumping on two weeks ago, but then last week when Garoppolo got hurt, so they have their top two quarterbacks out. That's why they have Mr. Irrelevant playing quarterback. Um, everybody was kind of jumping off that ship, but Tampa's going to be a playoff team. I was going to say the 49ers, well, Tampa, you say that Tampa's only one game ahead. Who's going to pass them? This is the thing we said a couple weeks ago when I said, who are you more worried for, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers? And you said, Aaron Rodgers, because Tom Brady's sitting in the NFC South. That division is trash. Yeah, but the Buccaneers aren't beating that division is the problem. Who's going to pass them? I don't know. The Buccaneers are bad on the road. The Buccaneers are bad on the road. Let's see. They got the Bengals. They got the Bengals next. I don't think they win that game. Man, yeah, we'll have to look at our- it's coming down to those last three games. At Arizona has got to be a win, in my opinion, because you're going to be 6-8 and eight going into that game. I don't want it to be. Huh? Oh, I don't want, I don't to, want win. it to be for them. Yeah, I don't want <laughs> them to win. The Cardinals are bad. Um, and then it's the Carolina Panthers at home. They'll probably be okay there. The but then they go to Atlanta to play the Falcons. Hmm. That, that might decide the division. That could be for a playoff spot. I, I no playoffs for Tom. That's fine for me. Yeah, I would love that. Um, but the 49ers, that that team looks safe. They're they're two up in their division. They look safe to me, even with Brock and Purdy. They said which which one of the quarterbacks could come back for the playoffs? One of the two could come back for the playoffs. Oh, who cares? I think they're better off with one of those two guys than they are with this guy. No. Jimmy Garoppolo, yes. Trey Lance, no. Eh, maybe. Okay. I, I wouldn't put Trey Lance in. No, that team sucked with Trey Lance. I wouldn't play him. I would play Trey Lance if I didn't want to win a playoff game. I'll say that. <laughs> Maybe Dallas should play him then. All right, let's move on to basketball in the college ranks. Uh, let's start with the women. Uh, the Virginia Tech women now 10-0. and They're up to number six in the rankings which is exciting because it's the highest ranking for that program. I'm just going to talk about Virginia Tech women every week, so just get used to that. Uh, and I'm really excited about Kenny Brooks doing that, a Waynesboro guy. We have tried to, uh, you know, our people have talked to his people trying to get si- lined up for a uh, podcast. It's going to have to be an off-season thing, so don't. it's not lack of effort on our end to get the local guy on here. Um, but to be fair, he, he might be bigger than us. Yeah. <laughs> I respect that. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Especially if he keeps winning. Um, but <laughs> I mean, he already is. I think when he was at JMU, he was bigger than us. So that's, that's fair. Um, UVA stayed undefeated. JMU, they went and beat VCU. And that leads into what I want to talk about. Your VCU women aren't, aren't quite as <sighs> threatening as they've been these last couple of years. Yeah. A lot of new faces. So, um, it's going to take some time for them to be able to get together and, and kind of build that team chemistry. That's the thing that kind of leaps out right now about them. Um, they did lose to Gardner-Webb last night, too, um, in, a, in a heartbreaking second half for them. So JMU, they did win against VCU, and then they, they beat William & Mary as well. So they're on a, they're on a roll. Um, but yeah. I'd say uh, definitely JMU looks to be positioned well in the Sun Belt. And uh, VCU will have, I think, let's see, they're in Tulane for a Tulane tr- Invitational for the holidays. And then 
it's Howard at home before conference play. And JMU being, you know, involved in the top of the Sun Belt, not a surprise. That's one of the programs that we immediately, when they announced that JMU was going to the Sun Belt, we said JMU women's basketballs as well as volleyball and softball and all those sports we threw right in there as uh, not going to have too big a problem at that level. So uh, that's good. Jumping over to the men. Virginia Tech is now ranked, as we predicted last week on the podcast. Uh, they did have to beat Dayton to do that, which was a nice win against a solid program. Dayton a little bit down this year. Uh, that was a big win middle of the week last week. But then Oklahoma State on Sunday, I really liked that win. Um, and I think that was a closer game than I have written there. I think it was only a five-point game. Yeah. But um, uh, Oklahoma State, a lot of big bodies on the court, a real dominant big man. Uh, you might want to look at your TV real quick. Um, they have a real dominant big man and, uh, they, that's what caused Virginia tech some problems. These last couple years was playing these teams that just were bigger than them. And that's, you know, Virginia tech's had a lot of problems with size for years, even with other coaches. And so for them to really take on Oklahoma state, they were winning pretty good. Then Oklahoma state came back on them. And then Virginia tech found a way to get back up a top and win that game. I liked the way that game played. Um, so I liked that it was a really good test for them. I liked how they responded. So uh, I was pretty excited about that win. And while I thought they already probably should have been ranked, I, I don't get that worked up about ranking. It's all going to take care of itself. If we beat the teams that I think we're going to beat in the ACC, then we're going to stay ranked and we'll be fine. And it all comes about being at, at the right spot for the tournament. So uh, Grambling comes up this week for uh, Virginia Tech less games here for a couple weeks as they uh, get exams in and get a little bit of Christmas going on, uh, but then the ACC season will kick in. And so uh, Grambling this week should be a, a, you know, somewhat easy win, um, but you got to take care of all of them. Yeah. Um, and just so the people listening yeah. at home know, Leland was trying to alert me that the Capitals had scored a goal, and he knows that um, Alexander Ovechkin at this point in the night is one goal away from 800. It was not an Ovechkin goal. Uh, okay. Um, Ovechkin is, yeah, no, I, that's fair. TV and I, I appreciate the heads up. <laughs> I appreciate the heads up. He is on the ice now. So as I'm making my point, I am staring at the TV, but yes, it, it's a huge win for Virginia tech against Oklahoma state. And I, you know, it's like I had said to you, um, after that win, this is a top, top four ACC team. And I think maybe top three ACC team. Uh, that's and, what you and said to me. they're, they are playing that kind of basketball here early this year, which is not something they did last year. Last year, they struggled at the beginning of the season and then turned it on in the second half. That's got to be the scary part for ACC coaches is that Mike Young and and the Hokies now seem to be playing well at the beginning of the year. So if they can keep yeah. building on this and stay healthy, which is something else that Virginia Tech has been amazing at. Um, in Mike Young's four years at Virginia Tech, his starters haven't missed a game. So um, that's pretty amazing as we knock on wood. But and that's an absolute. I, when I saw that tweet, I was like, "Don't say that out loud." <laughs> but um, pretty amazing stuff there. Now, I, I keep saying, uh, partially as a joke to get under Duke and UNC fans when I'm around them, but I am also only half joking when I say it. I, I do think there is a tinge of truth to it. The ACC runs through the Commonwealth this year because Virginia Tech looks great and UVA does look great. Um, yeah. now I think Jeff White, Jeff Wright was talking to us about the same thing and yeah. we're all in agreement. Um, this is where I, we come together with our UVA brethren. <laughs> but then when we play, shut up. Um, 
but yeah, no, I I will say J UVA looked good against JMU. I would definitely not use the other G word in great. Um, I was at that game. It's fifty-five to fifty. It was a vintage UVA basketball game. Yeah, vintage UVA basketball game. JMU just missed shots, and that's the only reason they lost. Um, but that'll happen to you. Yeah, because they didn't shoot one hundred percent from the field, they didn't win. Um, some of that was UVA good defense. Some of that was JMU. Me questioning whether some of those basketball players have a brain because some of those shots they were taking, I was like, "What are you doing?" Um, there was one where it was a wide open three and the guy hits the side of the backboard. I was like, <laughs> I've been there. I was like, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying I could shoot better, but I also never got a scholarship to do it. So <laughs> I guess that's the difference. Um, and, and JMU has good players on that team. That's what watching that game. I was like, okay, I can see the talent that JMU has at certain positions, but JMU also, and this is the thing that, if Byington stays there, which my fear is that he won't because he's going to be doing such a good job that someone's going to hire him um, that pays more than JMU. But he has got to get rid of some of the guys that are on that roster to take up a space. There, there are guys on that roster that I – they're just fillers, and that's putting it nicely. And, and there was – they were getting a lot of playing time against UVA because of foul trouble that it was just moments where I was like, yeah, that guy can't play, and he I wonder needs if it's to a little bit of uh, the COVID hangover with you got additional years of eligibility and managing stuff like maybe, that. Maybe, but then maybe I would say to those guys, guys, and you have guys sitting there. Yeah, but maybe I would say to those guys like, "Hey, you're not very good. Um, yeah. So maybe go take your extra year of eligibility somewhere else." Um, but. Yeah. <laughs> It was a tough loss to UVA. The problem for JMU, and this is the problem I have in evaluating them, I know everyone's saying, well, they're the best team in the Sun Belt. That's obvious. I don't know if it's obvious. obvious. I don't know if it's obvious. Um, when I see them play that way against UVA, I, I like what I see, but I also know that UVA was missing maybe their best player in Beekman for almost the entire game. Um, and I, I just don't read into a 106-43 win against the Gallia Dead. No, all, just all like I didn't read into the win against Georgia Coastal or the win against, you know, Helen Keller's school for the blind children. I, I just I don't read into those wins that JMU puts on the schedule because I, I just I, it doesn't mean anything if it's not a D1 school. And, and even some of the D1 schools, they're playing Hampton. Come on. There is there are kids in the VHSL. There are high school basketball teams that would beat Hampton. It's just yeah, but that's like that should be the bottom team that they play as a team like Hampton. And exactly, it should. It should that should be the one where I'm like, uh, yeah, I can't read into Hampton. It shouldn't be that I'm sitting there going, okay, Hampton is one of our better wins this year so far. Like, yeah. we haven't played anyone, and, and that's the problem. Um, we've got losses to UNC, UVA, and Valpo. So, I don't, I don't think Valpo's good. Um, but. It was also the third game in three days. It was just the other two were against South Dakota State, and then I think that was the Coastal Georgia one. Um, but I don't think that was Helen Keller's kids, but I don't know. Um, they got they have Long Island coming up, which is another one where, I don't know. 
What am I supposed to take away from Long Island? If it was just Tampa and Long Island, you wouldn't be saying anything. It's just there's a list. There's a four other teams that they've played that are worse than those teams. That's you, and yeah, that's why, gotta, like, there were some UVA people being like, "This is the highest scoring team in the nation. We hold them to fifty points." And I'm like, ah, "Okay, but <laughs> Coastal Georgia really sucks at basketball." <laughs> I don't, what do you want me to say? It's an NAIA school. I don't. We play a lot of D2 and D3 teams for a D1 basketball program. I'm sorry. UVA, you, you've won a national championship. You you don't commend. You, you don't no, pop yourself no. up. Because and and here's the thing. There. The people that were being honest with themselves didn't feel great leaving that basketball game. That There were just some apologists. And I, that's anywhere you go. There, there are people they that are going to a lot of games like that, though. So I, I really I'm not, I'm not even going to knock them down. And I'm one to love to knock UVA down. They win a lot of games, fifty-five to fifty. Like it doesn't matter who they're. Playing. It was the they worst. It was one of the worst free throw shooting nights I've ever seen a UVA basketball team have. Yeah, I, they made fifty percent of their free throws. They're not going to have that all the time. If Beekman's healthy, that Houston game's going to be great. If Beekman's not healthy, Houston's going to run them off the floor. So and that's about the biggest game of the weekend, right there. Yeah, UVA number two now. I think mm-hmm. Houston's at five, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Purdue um, jumped them, which I know. Yeah, Purdue jumped UVA in the polls, which I know rankers a lot of UVA fans, yeah. I'm sure. But again, don't don't beat Jamie by five It'll points. It'll take care of itself later, too. Yep, that's true. I, yeah, but that Houston game and that's one of the biggest games of the weekend. Two o'clock, ESPN two on Saturday. I think that that's the biggest college basketball game of the week. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So uh, it'll be fun. We'll talk about all that stuff next week as well. Uh, let's get into D block stuff. And I've been, I don't know if I really say it's been dominating my life, but something that has had my attention uh, a week ago, we we're talking about the transfer portal and Virginia tech losing 12 guys in the transfer portal in a day and a half and all this stuff. Well, a lot of teams lost a lot of teams, uh, guys in the transfer portal, a lot of big names, a lot of guys that I can just rattle off right here that you would recognize. And all I want you starting quarterback for him. And he's got, Wow. So everybody's having this problem. Not and we it's good for us to have this problem. We weren't good with the guys we had on the roster. So let's get some fresh blood in there. Yeah. The last two or three days, this weekend and rolling into the beginning of the week has been great for Virginia Tech recruiting. Not only at the high school level, getting commitments from good players from good high schools. We've also gotten really good uh transfer portal ads and including the one, the highlight one that everybody's gonna talk about is the third-string quarterback from Baylor that's leaving there. He is a raw athletic talent, and it's going to be real exciting to see what he can turn into. Um, He's going to come into our quarterback room. We're losing our second-string quarterback. uh, What was it, Jason Brown? He's gone, so we have room for this this kid and and others. And so I'm excited about the, the indication of what's happening with our recruiting. Now, it's all going to get proven on the field and, you know, winning, you know, January recruiting. I know it's not quite January yet. Doesn't win you national champions. It's got to come together, but you got to have success at this time of year to have success in the fall. And I feel like that's something that's been missing. I think that was the best stretch of days of recruiting that we've had in five years. And so I'm excited about what that'll eventually bring. It won't be immediate success. I'm not turning ourselves into a 10 win team next year, but I hope it means better than we were this year. That's an absolute must. And so I was excited. And and there's plenty of others. There's all these cornerbacks that are leaving in UNC that I'm interested in. And 
Uh, we got a good receiver, and we've got good players at a lot of different spots. Yeah, I, look, I, I'm like you. I thought, what what a get for Virginia Tech um, with that quarterback. And I don't know. I know he's a project, and I'm not. I'm trying not to get too excited because I know there's going to be some work there. But it, you just need better players, and, and they've gotten better players in the portal already. Like I like what we've gotten in the portal better than what we had on the roster, and. And that's where I want to kind of temper you because I know you're anxious to see anybody but Grant Wells being quarterback. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm against it, but I'm just – I don't know if this kid will be the one that's ready to do that next year. Yeah. So I just want to kind of temper your expectations. But if we're developing this kid into being a great quarterback, and that means Grant Wells plays next year, but then that kid's going to be getting what he needs and then be ready after that, I'll be that's okay fine. With that. Yeah, and that's I'm fair. Give this coaching staff that chance to prove that to me. If it's the last coaching staff, I'm not okay with this. I like I didn't trust their quarterback room decisions for the last three years. It's just been chaos and weirdness, and you know, get get the heck out of here, Hendon Hooker. Go win a Heisman somewhere else. You know, that's that's been the approach. So I'm gonna give this this crew a chance, but I that's that's why I'm saying this, and you're nodding your head. I want you to yep. remember this in September when you're complaining that Grant Wells is a starter. It might pay off to better two years and three years from now if if that is the case. Sure, and I know we're also going to be recruiting high schoolers still and all that. Yeah. And there's still more talent to come in, and we're not done with the portal yet either. But uh, and there's I, other positions on the field, and, we, and we're sure. doing good in those areas too. Yes, so. and, and in fact, one was a wide receiver. I think they landed um, that Jennings kid mm-hmm, from North Carolina. That I was like, man, great, love it because. That's that's what Virginia Tech needs. Um, they did have a player, a wide receiver that uh, entered the portal that I was kind of surprised to see him go, um, but whatever. And, and then so to get Jennings in, I was like, that's an upgrade. That's fine. Um, and, and yeah, I, I just want to see this team has to be better. I, I saw someone on Twitter today being like Virginia Tech might actually be fire next year. And I was like, OK, let's I mean, I'll take a double bowl. our win total. I'll yeah, I'll take a bowl. Like I'll take a yeah. bowl from Brent Pry next year. I think yep. I do think that kind of needs to be the goal, um, but yeah. I'll take a bowl because I think we're maybe a little bit worse than we could have been this year. Uh, you yeah. know, like there was some of those tight. There were too many games stuff. we were winning that we blew. Yeah, Georgia Tech, yeah. NC State, those are two that really leap out at you. And you got to right. think you w- you would have won the UVA game, so that's six wins there. Um, that that's you got to get there. You got to get six. So I agree. Um. What's been what will be dominating my life is upcoming watches on Netflix. In particular, um, I'm a huge Guillermo del Toro guy. That being said, Cabinet of Curiosities, don't watch that. Um, that's on Netflix. That's like a mini show. But what I am interested in is the Pinocchio that Guillermo del Toro did uh, on Netflix. So I am interested Stephen in that. King said positive things about it. Who? Stephen King. That's see, that's why it's apparently a dark, darker version of Pinocchio, which is why I'm interested and intrigued. Guillermo del Toro does great stuff. So I'm very intrigued there. And then the other one is the Aubrey Plaza movie, Emily the Criminal. Um, oh, you would. <laughs> I, look, is Aubrey Plaza weird? Yeah. Do I end up liking most of what she's in? Also, yeah, not everything. But most of it. And anything with Aubrey Plaza, I'll give a look-see. So, <laughs> to be fair, I, I, I am quicker to enjoy Aubrey Plaza 
produced uh, materials than I am that your uh, your girl. Oh, it, it slipped out of my head. The Saner girl that I always pick on you about. Halsey? Halsey. Yeah. Halsey's yeah. Halsey releases some bangers and, and Plaza uh, Aubrey Plaza. I'll give I'll I'll more excited to see something she's acting in than I am here in a Halsey song. Well, in and general. in a segment that the folks at work want me to start introducing slowly, I think um, this week at Shenandoah Awards and Apparel, um, I introduced him to some Doja Cat. So Rob was introduced to Doja Cat for the first time. Um, I wouldn't say he's a fan, but he ask him if he wants to uh, see my see my kids seeing a lot of the words to her songs, ones that would even concern you a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> the get into it, yeah, that one. That's a good song. We, we try to we try to get the edited versions, but yeah, they're bangers. I, I like Doja Cat more than I like Halsey. See, so no, no, you're wrong. Halsey has way more bangers than Doja Cat, but. Yeah, Doja Cat's got some bangers. And that's the thing I was trying to explain to him, right? Like, because I'm getting looks in the office like, Joe, why do you listen to this? It's catchy, dude. I can't help it. I just like catchy stuff. I, I like catchy tunes. You liked that, uh, the girl that... Oh, Dua Lipa? Was um, say it again. Dua Lipa? No, Dua Lipa's fine. We talked about her. There was this this one. It was like when we first uh, started doing radio and stuff together, and you were really into her. Uh, she... <laughs> You're gonna have she to be was more dating specific. the one boy, but now she's not. I think she was dating like Sean Mendez, and now she's not. Camila Cabello. That's it. Oh no, there's just like one or two songs that I like. You were into her, you were into her when we first started, and I was kind of laughing, like, "Why? Why you listen to this crap?" And since then, my kids have gotten into pop music, so I hear it too. So. There's an episode of Dave that was that FX show where it's uh, or like, "Hi, I'm Dave" or whatever, where it's that like rapper yeah guy. yeah 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 and there's an episode with doja cat in it that's awesome really see i stepped away from that show just because i've watched so uh, much i need to go back then because <laughs> that doja, doja cat episode cat. is really good <laughs> it's it's one of my favorite episodes of that show okay i'll definitely check it out but yeah halsey um doja cat dua lipa just started dating um uh it's gonna drive me bananas. What that other guy's name is? It's another rapper. He did a song that. Um, is it Waka Flocka? No. Um, Jack Harlow. Jack Harlow. Oh really? Yeah. I don't really like him. Ah, he's got some catchy tunes too. I don't. I don't know if I'd say I like him, but he's got some catchy tunes too. I can't help it. If you release a catchy tune, I'll I'll be interested. Um, what I know that you need to know. Gio Reyna versus Greg Berhalter has finally come to life. I don't know whether Greg Berhalter intended this to get out, but it came out that he was talking to somebody. He thought it was off the record. Turns out it wasn't off the record um, because it got out. And he said an unnamed player uh, was had a bad attitude at camp, was causing scenes and problems, and they had a vote whether they should send him home from the World Cup, and it was 13 to 12 for him to stay. It didn't take long for people to figure out that he's talking about Gio Reyna, who's one of our best players. And you're probably thinking, if you watch the World Cup, well, I don't remember Gio Reyna. It's because he only played in the second half of that Netherlands game. Um, And he did pretty well, actually, when he was in that Netherlands game. And since the World Cup, he's played in two matches back with his club, Borussia Dortmund, and all he's done is score goals. So... Um, for a team that doesn't score goals, it's kind of shocking to have one of your best goal scorers on the bench. But then he had Aronson, who's another one of our best goal scorers on the bench, and never really seemed to put the goal scorers in because I guess winning would really screw up his plan. 
Um, but I, I don't know what you expect from a guy who can't spell his name right. He puts too many G's in Greg. He's an idiot and a buffoon, and I don't really want to see him back. I hope he gets fired. Um, I'm not saying he has to live in a box, but I would prefer it. Um, I, I just – I don't have – I don't like him. Him airing this out in public, too, is absolutely stupid because now it has become a thing that is a coach who is not popular is in a confrontation with one of our best players on the men's national team, and the U.S. Soccer Federation has to make a choice. Which one do we go with? They're probably going to go with the best player. Yeah, I don't think this is Isaiah Thomas. He's think, not popular uh, with Christian Pulisic. He's not popular with any of our players that are any good. The MLS guys like him, which unfortunately probably does carry some weight with the U.S. Soccer Federation. But again, the U.S. Soccer Federation, here's, I heard a great reason why we aren't as good as other teams in the World Cup. Uh, while in the truck with you on the way back from the state championship, which I thought Tony Kornheiser made a great point, we've got too many other sports that they can make more money in. So our best athletes aren't playing soccer, like in other countries. Problem number two, the U.S. Soccer Federation is more worried about developing the MLS than they are United States men's national team. MLS should not be the U.S. Soccer Federation's problem. That, that is an MLS problem. The people in the MLS need to make the MLS good. It's not U.S. Soccer's job to make the MLS good. And our problem is we're so worried about making sure MLS guys get good face time in international games and on the international stage our best players don't play in the MLS. You know why? Because the MLS isn't good. You know you know what all these teams that are playing still in the World Cup have in common? No MLS guys. Yeah. That's why we don't have Dwight Howard on our U.S. basketball team. Because he's over there playing somewhere over there. And he's not playing in the NBA. We want NBA players on our national team. So does every other country. They want NBA. They're the because NBA that's players the from their best country, league. On their national team. Yeah. Because that's the best league. Right. <clears throat> So to the, the negative news of the week, and I think we'll, we'll twist it positive as much as we can, but Mike Leach passed away. And he's a guy that we've talked a lot about in this podcast. We make a lot of reference to things he said, and we've brought up a lot of his comments uh, in this block of the podcast where uh, um, he said some hilarious thing in post-game or pre-game or um, just any time. And so it's really sad that Mike Leach passed away at 61, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think apparently like a heart attack or something, but um, he was able to donate organs, which was a nice thing to see today from uh, his family's announcement of his passing. Um, but it's going to leave a big void in the landscape of college football with the kind of character he was. He was absolutely one of a kind. Uh, I loved how these different, um, you know, sideline reporters would ask him these just nothing to do with football questions and he would spend time answering them and 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 legitimately answering them and and diving into it you know we really i remember we dove into when he was analyzing the pac-12's mascots and who would win a fight of the mascots and he was being very fair about that and uh his rant about weddings and you know he recommended they elope because all the women around the guy was going to lose their minds. I just, I love just the, just no holds bar. He would pretty much just say anything and nothing he was saying was offensive, but he wasn't afraid of being offensive. He just started talking. And uh, I, I always appreciate that out of him. And uh, he'd be so funny. And he was, it seemed like everything he said, they just, that's, that's the only way that you could think. 
and uh, just so good. He's talking about how bad coffee is and all that. It just all those different rants that have gotten a lot of play in the last couple of days since uh, he had his his episode, uh, his health episode, and then that resulted in his death. Um, I encourage all of you to get on Twitter, get on whatever internet uh, way you like to find things, and, and look up videos of Mike Leach talking because it's it's good to see right now with the negative of knowing that he's not going to be on the sidelines anymore. And he was a good coach. I mean, he was, he really brought Texas tech alive. He was the head coach for a lot of great players that came out of Texas tech. He went to Washington state and had a fun team out there. Now he's at Mississippi state. Um, another cool story that I saw was he brought this, this player in, he was like a junior or senior. He brought him into the office and said, Hey, you're not going to play for us. You're not going to get on the field. Why don't you start being like a student coach? The player just mad and left and stormed out, and then the next day he came back and said, yeah, I'll, I'll take that, and he'll be a student coach. It was Lincoln Riley, and it's just, I mean, there's a coach that's at USC now, and he's had a lot of success in a short time of being a head coach. Um, just, it's that's a cool little story, and there's a bunch of those. There's a bunch of those with this guy. So uh, the Pirate has passed away, and uh, the sports world is lesser for it, and uh, college football is going to miss him. Yeah, and... and- like you said, I mean, there's a lot of people that you can tell just the number of people he's impacted because so many people are sharing their Mike Leach stories and they're all, I guess the thing that comes out is, um, he just seemed like a great human being because he, I know there was that story, you know, at Texas tech that is maybe something that would speak against that where he locked a kid in a, in a closet, but, um, (laughs) You can when you hear all these stories about him though from other people about how he gen, genuinely took interest in what was going on in their lives and wanted to talk about stuff other than football all the time and it just kind of showed you where and I'm not saying that this isn't right but I I do think there is something to be said for work life balance and Mike Leach seemed to have that because for every Nick Saban that's 100% serious 100% of the time Mike Leach was the opposite. And I think I think his players loved that. I think fans loved that. I think the people in the media who had to interact with him loved that. Um, you see all these stories. You know, I saw one where this guy is interviewing him about... Uh, he wanted to talk to him, and the coach said, yeah, call me. Um, and he's just writing a quick story about yeah. pranks and his favorite pranks that he's seen. And he goes, and I... About 15 minutes into the conversation, I hear a distinct whistle, and I'm like, Coach, where are you? And he's like, oh, I'm at practice. And he goes, I can call you back. This isn't that important. He goes, are you kidding me? Where was I? Oh, yeah. And then just immediately picks up where he was. And it's just like, that's at practice. And I know <laughs> maybe maybe some of the games they lose is because of that. But also, maybe he's happier for that. Like, he yeah. just didn't seem like a guy who was too often losing his mind. And I think that's one of the more enjoyable things. And I, I will say, I know you're not a huge Dan Levitard fan, but if you go on Dan Levitard with Stu Gott's social media, they're sharing a lot of funny videos of Mike Leach and just kind of his more zany side. And um, that's a great place to find some of that. And then also I, I just stumbled on Jeremy Schapp was interviewing. I'm not, I'm not sure when this was, I guess this was when he was at Washington state or maybe Texas tech, but uh, this was when it, it, he was at Washington State because he's wearing a Washington State hoodie. Stupid. Um, but Jeremy Schapp asked him 
when you pass away, you know, what do you want to be remembered for? And what do you want your obituary to say? And he goes, what do I care? That's somebody else's job to write. I'll be dead. What do I care? And, you know, now it's just timely, but also just goes to show you, like, Mike Lee just, just like, you know, ah, whatever, who cares? And, um, yeah, that Pac-12 mascot press conference is an all-timer for me. Like, that's an all-time press conference. We reference it all the time. I mean, just between me and you, like, we – yeah. Coop- Coog's got a coog and all that stuff. Like we say that all the time. Coogs will find a way, yeah. And Coogs um, will find a way. That was it, yeah. Yeah, the Coogs will find a way. Stewart's draft fans were probably hearing and tired of us hearing hearing us say that, but um it's it's just fun. And and I think he brought a lighter side to coaching, which is not always there, and I liked that. And it's definitely sad and uh thoughts are with his family, obviously. Definitely. So uh we will continue on with the podcast next week as we will uh have one more episode this calendar year and we'll talk about a lot more bowl games we've got to start talking about some of these winter sports college or high school football has had full grasp of our interest this fall but we will be jumping into high school basketball girls and guys and the wrestling that's coming up lots of fun stuff to talk about as we go into the new year so get with us next week as we'll be talking about all that at Yak Sports Pod is how you interact with us on Twitter or Facebook. YakSportsPod at gmail.com is the email. Everybody sign up for the ESPN Bowl Mania with the Yak Sports Pod group. And if you're having trouble logging in there or need the password, it's it's Yak. I will just tell you what the Y-A-C, password is. Y-A-C, all caps. Y-A-C, yep. That's the password. Um, but uh, get, uh, get in contact with us if you need us. Make sure you're telling your friends to subscribe on Podbean, Apple, Google, Spotify, anywhere you find your podcast, you can find us. And we'll be next week, be back next week with the last podcast of the year. And uh, we'll talk to you then. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County sports podcast.